0: Well this week we'll continue in our series from the book Everyday Church as we kind of take some insight from that. But the title of the message this morning is Everyday Community. We're going to be looking at the first part of this message and next week we'll continue on the same theme. But last week we were reminded that the world around us views Christianity in the margins rather than in the center of mainstream thinking. Where once Christianity was well respected, it is now a personal opinion or ideal that many people may or may not believe or buy into or accept. We're reminded that an estimated 85 to 100 million people have no intention of walking through the doors of a church. That's sad. And we cannot assume any longer that people in general have a desire to find the meaning of life or to seek answers to life's questions from the Bible, and certainly offering a better church experience will not draw in the unchurched. So finally, we're reminded that this world is not our home, that we are just pilgrims and strangers passing through. Amen? Tim Chester and Steve Timmis write, imagine you woke up to discover that you had become a missionary in a foreign land. Put your thinking caps on just for a moment. You woke up to find yourself a missionary in a foreign land. The language, the culture, the worldview, and the values are all unfamiliar. And those of you that have visited other countries, you've been in some third world countries, that is exactly the case. You're the stranger in someone else's homeland. You don't know the language. You don't know the culture. You don't know the traditions. You don't know the expectations of how you live life day in and day out. What are you going to do? Fortunately, you are part of a team. Together, you are going to learn the language and the culture. You are going to explore how the Bible story interacts with the outlook of the people around you. You are going to try to connect with them at a relational level. This is a situation in which a church in the West finds itself today. If we are truly strangers and pilgrims, and, aliens. and if truly our citizenship is in heaven, then we are missionaries in this land that God has us. Amen? And we have to learn how to adapt in the culture that we now find ourselves in. So the culture has moved on. It is not what it was a hundred years ago when it was significantly shaped by the Bible story. We need to wake up and realize we are in a missionary situation. If I could add these words right here, right now in America. We cannot continue to undertake mission in a pastoral mode. We cannot even assume we understand the culture around us. We need to operate as missionaries in a foreign land. Tim Chester and Steve Tim is further right that there are two things that we as Christians cannot expect. The first one is we cannot expect the world to be like us and number two we need to understand it is not our culture anymore let's break that down just for a few moments we cannot expect the world to like us remember we are pilgrims we are strangers we are aliens our citizenship is not here but it's in america it's in a in the in the heaven one day that we spend plan on spending eternity there well one might say well isn't that obvious I mean, isn't it obvious as Christians our home is not here? It should be obvious, but it's not so obvious, if we're honest with ourselves. On the other hand, we may not say it, but we want it to be the case, and often we find ourselves upset and angry at folks like coworkers because they cuss and swear around us. I can't tell you how many times I've had a person in the church say, Pastor, their work environment is just terrible. They cuss and swear all day long. Why wouldn't they? Let's think about this for a moment. Why wouldn't they? They're not saved. They don't know the Lord. They're not walking in fellowship with Him. We're upset with our relatives because they don't act like they love us. And you're upset why? A lot of people have relatives that don't understand Christianity. I have it in my family. You probably have it in your family. But we cannot expect the world to like us just because we're Christians. We're upset and mad at our neighbors because their trees, branches, and leaves fall on our side of the property line. And the kicker is they don't care. (laughs) I've heard that one numerous times. Their branches and their leaves are on my side of the property line and their leaves mess my yard. And they don't care about it. Why would they? It's No big deal. It's a leaf. So there's a bunch of them. Who cares? That's the world around us. Because the world lives for number one, right? Am I, am, I, am I right in saying that? Got to look out for number one. Got to make sure everything goes according to how it affects me. That's the world we live in. Rather than the world revolving around the one who gave his son to die on a cross for us. We don't say it, but we often expect the unsaved and the unchurched around us to act like we do as Christians. We can't have that expectation any longer. In fact, if you would take your Bibles this morning and turn to First Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter two. We want to look at this for a little while. We're going to be jumping around First Peter just a little bit, but I want to start off by reading First Peter chapter two, verses four through eight. Says, coming to him a living stone rejected by men, but chosen and valuable to God, you yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it is contained in Scripture Look, I, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. And a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the message. They were destined for this. Peter says that we as believers are like living stones, being built into a spiritual house. Now you remember one thing that we started off with last week and then understanding a little bit of 1 Peter Says the very beginning, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the temporary residents dispersed in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, they understood that they were dispersed from their homeland. They were in a land that was not traditionally or originally theirs, and they're just scattered. They were temporary residents. And in very similar ways, we are like them. Not permanently home here on this earth. This is our temporary residence. We are living stones just as he, Jesus Christ, is a living stone. Just as he was rejected of men, we will be rejected of men. But, not just rejected, he goes on to say, chosen and valuable chosen and valuable. Think about that just for a moment. Mankind may reject you because of who you are, for what you believe, for what you stand for, but regardless of being rejected, he says you are chosen, back verse, chapter 1, verse 1, and then again here, chosen and valuable. See, we don't find our value, we don't find our worth in what people think about us. In fact, the longer we know Christ, the longer we strive to live for him, the more we understand that the world is not going to value what we value. They may not value us because for what we believe. But in God's eyes, chosen and valuable. Not based on what you do, but based on who you are. You see, one of the things, one of the lessons I highlighted yesterday, <coughs> excuse me, was the fact that God has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, and He didn't do that based on how good we were. Amen? Because any of us, can any of us be good enough? I shared my illustration of being a multi-gazillionaire. You've heard it a few times. I would love to be a multi-gazillionaire. just wants to say I tried it. If you don't know what a gazillionaire is, it's just a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of money. Millionaire, billionaire, trillionaire, somewhere out there is gazillionaire. But well, we talked about this idea so, you know, and I talked with the Nepali folks and I said, listen, if you were to go back to Nepal, back to Bhutan, back to India, and say, man, there's a lot of impoverished people here, but I'm a multi-gazillionaire, and I can build a hospital in every village in sight, in fact, I can pave the roads very nicely, no more two-foot ruts, no more uh, you know, losing your vehicle in a rut if they have a vehicle, we, I mean, we're gazillionaires. Hospital in every location. I mean, oh, you don't have a house? No problem, I build you a mansion. No big deal. I'm a gazillionaire. You see, our relationship and our standing in Christ is not based off what we do. It's who we are in him. You could never be good enough. You have too many flaws. I have too many flaws. I have too many ways of thinking that are not biblical. I could never attain in and of myself, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. He says, when we put our faith and trust in him, we are chosen and valuable to him based on what he has chosen for us. And so he says, you yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's where our worth is. That's where our value is as his children. But I love this. Jesus was the stone. Look at verse 7 with me again. I love this. It says So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected. Jesus Christ was rejected. Why are we shocked that the world would reject us for what we stand for, what we believe in? They're not going to believe, they're not going to accept without Jesus Christ working in their lives bottom line is, he was a stone that builders rejected, but chosen of God. And Jesus was a stone that became the honored cornerstone. If you will, the capstone. And he reiterates that in Mark chapter 12, verse 10, that Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, the cornerstone that was so important to make sure everything else was in line. Rejected of men, but the most important thing. So, he says, Basically, we can't expect the world around us to like us. They didn't like Jesus. They may not like you. Got to deal with that. And then secondly, he says, it's not our culture anymore. Remember, we talked about this last week, how Christianity went from the mainstream to the margins. Where once it was important, now it's not so much important. Where once people had a general idea and a belief that there was a God, and a God that we would go to for answers no longer the case any longer they move from the center to the margins it's not our culture anymore so how do we deal with that well peter simply gives some straightforward principles of how to how to live in this world a world that doesn't respect or necessarily believe in christianity let me just give you five of them there's a whole bunch here in first peter but let me just give you five of them we're going to kind of bounce around just a little bit the first one is found in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 13. It says, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's the first thing? How should we live in the world that we're living in? In a world that doesn't respect or believe in Christianity? Well, with your minds ready for action, Be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is your mind ready for action? Is your mind ready? When God gives us an opportunity to speak, is your mind ready? Is our hope not on the things that this world can provide, but on the hope of the world that is to come? If we live in for the things of this world, we're going to be disappointed. So we set our hope on that which will come to fruition when Jesus Christ reveals himself in the last day. Are we ready? Are our minds ready for action? Serious and setting our hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Second thing, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, says, so rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Isn't that a challenge? We've said many times that there's a world around us who doesn't really appreciate Christianity? Why? We mentioned it last week. Because the world has seen a lot of hypocrisy. See, I can go to church every Sunday morning and I can put on my Sunday face and I can put a smile on and I can say, How you doing? You everyone's like, Yeah, I'm doing great. How was your week? Oh, great. How was your week? Great, wonderful. We have just, everybody's having a great week. Everybody's doing wonderful. And the reality of it is it's not so wonderful. It's not so great for many. For many, it's a struggle. For many, you're struggling with sin and you have no idea how to overcome it. For many, it's an idea that I just can't deal with all the pressures and the struggles and the stresses. And the world has seen hypocrisy. I mean, at work, we can yell at the manager because he's such a jerk. Oh, by the way, would you like to come to church on Sunday? It's hypocritical. Our life has to be lived out in genuine authenticity. So he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, how shall we live in the world that doesn't respect Christianity? Rid yourselves of all malice. Get rid of anger. All deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, what would happen if we walked into the world around us and we talked to our neighbor and we talked to, as we say, the church goes to the grocery store and the church goes to the gas station and the church talks to the neighbor across the fence. As we talk to the world around us and we actually live a life of high moral standards, where we actually live out a life where we're honest, it might have a different impact in the world around us. So he said, rid yourself of these things. All malice, all deceit, Hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Let me give you a third thing. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, equip yourselves also with the same resolve. Wait a minute. Christ suffered, and we're supposed to equip ourselves to go through that with the same resolve? Yep. Because you may suffer. You may suffer in some way. He says, because the one who suffered in the flesh has finished with sin. He paid the price. He dealt with it. He he went through it and got through to the other end. So, So since Christ suffered in the flesh, equip yourselves with the same resolve. Same resolve to get through it. My mind is made up. No matter what happens, I'm going forward. Let give you number four. First Peter chapter four verse seven says, "Now the end of all things is near. Therefore, here it is in the world that we live in. Be serious and disciplined for prayer. How's your prayer life? Are you spending time with God? Are you walking in fellowship with Him? Are we praying? Remember, several weeks ago we talked about praying for the lost around us. Are we doing that? Are we praying that God would open up doors? Are we being serious?" And disciplined for prayer, and then he gives us several more attitudes to have for end times, verses eight through eleven. He says, above all, maintain what's the next word? An intense love for each other, since love covers a multitude of sins. Think about that just for a moment. That word, intense. Is that an accident that God uses that word in his word? I don't don't think it is. I think it's the opposite of flippant. It's the opposite of a nonchalant attitude. It's the opposite of, eh, so-so. He says maintain an intense love for one another. Especially in this world that we live in. Think about this just for a moment. When I love someone... And something happens between us where there's a riff. If I don't love them, my attitude immediately goes to, they did this on purpose! But when I love them, it's the opposite. They must have done this on accident because I know them, they wouldn't have done this on purpose. Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 13 tells us? Love thinks no evil. That's why he says maintain an intense love because love covers a multitude of sins. My mind doesn't go to they did this on purpose. My mind goes to, this was an accident. They didn't really mean what they said. It, it, it wasn't portrayed as they meant for it to be portrayed. They didn't do this on purpose. So he says, above all, maintain an intense love for each other, since love covers a multitude of sins. Then he goes on to say, be hospitable to one another without complaining. Does anybody know a complainer? you like spending time with them? There are certain people, and I'm telling you, you have them too, just like I do. It's like when the phone rings, it's like, oh. Okay, gear up, gear up, gear up, gear up, gear up. Hey, how's it going? But you know you're going to get an earful because all they do is gripe and complain. It says, be hospitable to one another without complaining. You have to work at these things. And based on the gift that each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the very grace of God. He says in this end times, use whatever gifts you have, not for yourself, but to serve others. Show them the grace of God. If anyone speaks, it should be as one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, it should be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him belong the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Those are some good attitudes to have in the last days. If we want to have an impact in the world around us, that doesn't have an appreciation for Christianity and for Jesus Christ. We need to guard how we live in this lost world. Peter also makes numerous references to our walk, our daily living. Turn back to 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16. Here's one. But as the one who called you is holy... You also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Think about that. He says, you are to be holy in all your, what's the word? Conduct. That means when you get up in the morning and you go about your day and you go to work and you're dealing with people and people begin to irritate you, your conduct becomes very important how you respond to those things. I was sharing yesterday, there's a lot of things in life that I would not choose, that I don't desire, that I didn't want to have any part of. Anybody have things like that? A lot of things that I, w- I would not pick to get me sick. I would never pick for my car to break down. I would never pick for someone to misconstrue what I said and make it sound like I said something I didn't say. I would, there's a lot of things I would not choose. Anybody have any of those? I can't control those situations. But I have to control how I respond to them. Right? I have to control how I respond to them. And that's why he says, in all your conduct, be holy. When the person irritates you, I'm I'm telling you, there are just days, last week I had attitude. I just wanted to, hmm. Don't tell me you're not like me, because you have those days too. And I have to like sit back, and I, I, I went into Bible study Tuesday morning. These are my witnesses over here, Ed, Mike, Nick. I said, pray for me. My attitude stinks. I want to slap somebody. Who? Uh, it doesn't matter. Somebody. I said, pray for me. I said, I just had a bad attitude. Well, why? I, I don't know. Everything's good. My bills are paid. My I, I got no reason. I just got an attitude. Pray for me. And I need these reminders. I have to be holy in all all my conduct. You need that reminder too. Because we are sinful, fleshly people. And we need each other to encourage one another and pray for one another and help each other through the difficult days. He says, Be holy as I am holy. Jesus Christ is our example. He says, If I can do it, you can do it. He goes, I'm not going to tell you something and not empower you to do it. Be holy as I'm holy. Here's another one, verse 17. It says it again. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. It says, And if you address as father the one who judges impartially based on each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence. Remember, we've been talking about this. As God's children, our home is where? In heaven. That's why it says conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence. Temporary residence called planet earth. You're just here for a while. Your while maybe 5 years, 25 years, 45 years, 105 years. But it's still temporary. Our residence is in heaven. So conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence. Chapter 2, verse 12. Here's the word again. The third time he says the word conduct. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that in case where they speak against you as those who do what is evil, they will, by observing your good works, glorify God on the day of visitation. What's he saying here? He says, live your life in such a way that if someone were to accuse you of something, Everyone else would say, no, not that person. I know him. They would never do this. That's not always easy. Because what's our nature? I'm going to defend myself at any cost. I'm going to make sure that everyone knows that that guy is a liar. And what they said is not true. He says, you don't need to do any of that. You just conduct your life in such a way that if somebody falsely accuses you, everyone else will know that he's the liar. So that in a case where they may speak against you as those who do what is evil, they will, by observing your good works, glorify God. So we need to live for the glory of God. And then he says, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. But honor the Messiah as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. What's he saying here? Honor the Messiah, no matter what. Daily in your walk, honor the Messiah. Honor Jesus Christ. In a world that doesn't honor Him, you honor Him. And once again... It will cause people around you to say, hmm, I wonder why he lives this way. I wonder why she has the ability to respond this in, through, like this in this situation, through this circumstance. And when the questions come, you're ready to give an answer to the hope that lies within you. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. That's why I'm able to go through this life the way I do. That's why I have strength. That's why I have hope. That's why I have stability. Because Jesus Christ. Honor the Messiah as Lord in your heart. So Peter simply gives some straightforward principles of how to live. He gives us some references as to how we're to walk. And then number three, he highlights the need to love and respect everyone around us in our culture. So 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Or 1 Peter chapter 2, almost through. Verse 17 says, Honor everyone. Everyone? Really? Everyone? Remember, we talked about this word honor means to give value to. We're to value everyone. We were talking about this yesterday in our seminar. It's easy to show love to those who are in our family, right? I mean, that's my child, that's my spouse. This is my close cousin. It's often easy to show love to those that you are closest to. Let's branch that out a little bit. It's easy to show love to the people in my church oftentimes. I mean, they're encouraging. They come near us. They, you know, they help us out when needed. And we help them out when needed. Whereas like an extended family, it's often easier to show love to those in our church. But what about when you're walking downtown and you're scared to death to be downtown at 8 o'clock and it's dark outside. Do you love those people? Or do you avoid it like the plague? I was talking to the Nepali folks and I said, is it easy to show love to that African American that you don't know because you have a prejudice and an idea of what they really are and who they really are? Or that group over there because I really don't know them, I don't understand them, and I think they hate me. I don't know that they hate me, but I just think they do. We have all kinds of prejudices, don't we? We just have this line of thinking that goes through our minds when we see people we don't know, and we just assume the worst. And then he read this, and he says, honor everyone? Everyone? Mm Mm-hmm. Honor everyone. On. love the brotherhood who's the brotherhood each other in the body of Christ someone you don't love he goes on fear God honor the emperor household slaves submit with all your fear to your masters not only to the good and gentle but also to the cruel submit but I have rights do we? We're to love and respect everyone around us in our culture. And then he shows one more group that we're to love and respect in this culture. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 7 and 15. 1 and 2 says this, In the same way, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without, without a message of the way their wives live. And when they observe your pure, reverent lives, in other words, by submission, God says you can win that spouse. We're to model that in our marriages. And then he goes on, guys, you're not off the hook, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives with an understanding of the weaker nature yet showing them honor as co ears of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be, what's the word? Hindered. He says, if you don't honor your wives, your prayers are going to be hindered. I don't want that. I want my prayers to be heard and answered, right, guys? Thank you. Are you honoring your wives? And then he goes on to verse 15. says, but honor the Messiah's Lord in your hearts always. Be ready to give defense. Are we honoring everyone? So it's not just husband and wives, it's everyone. And then he tells us how to do it in chapter 3, verse 4. Instead, it should co- consist of what is inside the heart with an imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in God's sight. The gentle and And then he goes on, verse 16. However, do it with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear, so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. Twice he says, we're to respond in the world that we live in with a gentleness. It goes so much against our nature, doesn't it? When somebody does something against us, when somebody says something contrary to what we think or believe it's our nature to rear up our ugly head and just defend ourselves and to set them clear to set them straight to make sure they understand how they are wrong isn't that our nature come on now we want to make sure that they understand why they're wrong and some people use their social media as an outlet to express to the world why they're right and everybody else is wrong Because I just have to let it out there and let it be known. How does God want us to respond? Gentleness. Here's another one. Proverbs 15, verse 1 says, A soft answer turns away what? Wrath. But you ever notice that the more passionate we are, the louder our voice gets, and the louder our voice gets, it really comes across as you're angry? (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm guilty going to work on that gentle answer, gentle voice a soft answer the world that we live in is not a Christian culture anymore you can go back and say wow if you went back to historical times and look at all our past presidents man the first two thirds of them were most of them were bivocational pastors believe it or not Most of them were bivocational pastors. Most of them lived for the Lord. Most of them were deeply rooted in their faith. And because of it, there was a culture of Christianity. That's not our culture anymore. So what are we going to do? Just say, oh well? Or are we going to seek to do what Steve Timmons says and build relationships with people? Love them for where they're at. Show them God's love in this world that we live in. Besides that, it's the biblical, godly, right thing to do. We can't pick and choose from the smorgasbord of Christian beliefs which ones we want. Complete obedience, not partial. Live to love those around us. And we're going to specifically talk about loving those in our culture next week. So I hope you're ready for a a good discussion next week. How we can truly do that. Let's pray.